0: Hello, Tim.
1: Carl, good morning.
0: Ah, good to hear your voice.
1: It's good to hear yours as well.
0: Welcome back to A Life in Biography.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: We're going to be talking about Hemingway's Widow, your book. So maybe we'll start by your saying something about how you got interested in her and in writing the book.
1: Sure. Um I come from a uh, a legal background as you know and um I I studied um law at King's College Cambridge the home of literary luminaries like E.M. Forster and Rupert Brooke and uh King's College didn't really specialize in lawyers so I most of my friends were literary types or or musicians uh and uh after a a lengthy uh, legal career, uh, including uh, being a law professor and dean of a law faculty and a, a chief federal negotiator resolving land claims and doing out-of-court settlements concerning indigenous uh, people, uh, I decided that I would uh, begin uh, writing something seriously. I'd written many legal pieces, but I wanted to try something different. And um, I... I uh, was lo- looking around for uh, a possible subject. I had written two uh, earlier pieces, one uh, concerning uh, my seven uh, great uh, uncles in the First World War and another piece involving Aline Mosby, the uh, journalist who was the first woman admitted to Soviet Russia and who, of course, did a an expose, quite an, a dramatic piece on your subject, Marilyn Monroe. Yes. Uh, So I was looking about and I read uh, Mary Hemingway's uh, memoir, How It Was. And that book captured me. Uh, It was a sparkling account of her life before and after she met Ernest. However, scholars had dismissed Mary for writing a self-serving biography, uh, for lacking self-awareness and merely living on the surface. Uh, She was scorned as the lowest-born of the four wives. And they said that she failed to analyze Ernest because she was too shallow to do so and that she was a mere caretaker wife. Uh, Or your other subject, Martha Gellhorn, as you know, went so far as to call her a maggot of history. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The more I researched, I I found myself reacting against these cruel and, uh, I thought, inaccurate claims I found that Mary was from a good family, uh, that she was brave, disciplined, intelligent, an excellent writer, and that she understood Ernest Hemingway as well as anyone possibly could. Uh, So Mary appeared to me to be a deeper, more profound person than the critics said, and an admirable woman who had succeeded as a journalist in a man's world in wartime. The story I found reading her correspondence, uh, journals, diaries, and and interviewing the people who knew her, uh, led me to believe that her story deserved to be told, uh, not only to correct the record, but to allow readers to truly meet and make up their minds about this strong woman. Now, I, I read and enjoyed Paula Maclean's fictional account of Ernest's first wife, Hadley Richardson, the Paris wife, and I believed that anyone who enjoyed Hadley's story would be fascinated by Mary's life. Uh, Hadley was married to Ernest for five years at the beginning of his writing career, and uh, for 17 years, Mary was Ernest's wife and collaborator and witnessed his success when he won the Pulitzer and Nobel Prizes, and of course, she also saw his decline and tried to save him from alcohol, depression, and suicide. Mary survived Ernest for 25 years and shaped his literary legacy, and Mary's story is the bookend to Hadley's life with the young Hemingway. The book was published in June 2022, and I was very lucky to receive uh, many favorable reviews. One of the highlights, Carl, was your own review and the new criterion. Uh, I felt that I'd been read and understood and that uh, you contributed to the understanding of the complex relationship between Mary and Ernest. Well, thank you. It was a great, uh, really uh, I felt that uh, there was sort of an intellectual connection, which I really appreciated, because you don't know al- you don't always get that in reviews, as you know. I-, I had another good review in the Hemingway Review by Hillary Justice, the Hemingway Scholar in Residence at the John F. Kennedy Library and Archives, and Kitty Kelly quipped that this review is beyond phenomenal. Your own mother couldn't have better praised your work. So, <laughs> <laughs> it you know, I I felt that I had. Um, uh, succeeded, at least insofar as I wasn't uh, uh, disregarded as a non-Hemingway scholar, because I certainly wasn't. I was coming in from the outside, and as you well know, there's a uh, there there are many Hemingway scholars and many formidable people who have worked in the field for years. I was a bit shy about intruding, but my friend uh, Harry Stoneback, Stony Stoneback, invited me to come in. He read early versions of my work and encouraged me and ultimately wrote a, a, a really an astounding preface to the work. So that is sort of how I put together, how I became interested in Mary's story and and how I, I came to write about her.
0: That preface, before we talk about your audio book, um, that preface is remarkable. That many biographies um, have preface. How did
1: that come about? Well, uh, because I was an outsider, uh, I thought that it it would be useful if someone from Hemingway country could introduce me. Uh, I had met Stoney in 2016 at the uh, Hemingway conference in Chicago. He was then president of the society, and he was far too busy to speak with me. I asked him whether it would be possible for us to have a chat, but he was simply too busy. He said, send me an email. So I did later. And then he asked me to send a, a few samples of my writing. I sent him a couple of pieces I'd written and a, a draft chapter of one of the chapters from the book I was trying to work on. And he replied with very encouraging words. And um, over the next few years, he he helped me. Um, he introduced me to people in Hemingway country, to Valerie Hemingway, for example. Uh, he uh, introduced me to Bonifacio Brass, the person who uh, currently owns and runs the Locanda Cipriani on Torcello, uh, which I think was an important scene uh, which Ernest and Mary visited and which helped him to set uh, his novel Across the River and Into the Trees. And over the years, uh, Stoney invited me to various uh, Hemingway events and conferences and uh, took a real interest in my work. And When I was uh, troubled by things, I would write to him, and he would uh, sort of help me uh, uh, look at things. Uh, When it became time to uh, publish the book, I I thought that it would be useful if I could have someone like Stoney do a preface, and I was hesitant to ask him because I, I know how busy he was, and I was absolutely delighted when he agreed to do it. And then I was frankly blown away by... Uh, the work he did. Uh, it was uh, a terrific insight into Mary and his own relationship with her and, and highly complimentary about my work. So, it's, sort of like, it's sort
0: of like the first review of your biography.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it, uh, it's it, I was stunned when I received it. And my my daughter told me, dad enjoy this because it couldn't possibly get any better <laughs> and i think i think she was right i mean it it really was it was incredible and and uh stoney and i were both very excited because um uh, mary was the first woman to be invited to join the lotus club in new york and uh, she then sponsored stoney's membership in 1978 and the lotus club when they learned about my book uh, invited me to come and speak uh because uh, she was uh, an important person in their club history and uh, so st- i asked Stoney if he would in- introduce me as a member of the club and he agreed and uh in late december he w- we were uh, texting back and forth and he was he told me you wouldn't you won't believe this but i'm actually staying at the lotus club and i was talking to the uh director of programming last night and everyone's very excited about uh th- about your uh, your coming here and speaking about the book and uh, he said uh, and I look forward to seeing you here because okay. we'll, we'll we'll drink a glass of wine under the portrait of my my friend uh Mark Twain
0: mm.
1: and then uh 3 days later stony died uh oh. it was just tragic he he told me in his last email that he was Suffering from some form of COVID or flu flurry, and that it even ty- hurt to type the words, and then mm. and then he he died. It was to me it was a huge loss because I, you know, I, we we grown to be quite close over the years. We we exchanged our stories and writing and travel ventures and so on. And uh, anyway, his his preface was astounding, and uh, I, I'm of course inter- eternally grateful to him for. For that
0: and you at uh, the result, you had to uh, read his preface in your audiobook:
1: yeah, I felt that was a bit awkward <laughs> because uh i um it would have been better obviously if Stony had read it uh and that wasn't possible, and it didn't seem uh, it may have been possible to get someone else to do it, but uh I just did it, and it's I felt awkward doing it.
0: But I think it, uh, it does the job Let's talk about this audio book and how it came about and why you decided to do it.
1: Okay, well, um, first of all, I think on audiobooks generally, um, apparently the global audiobooks market size was valued at $5 billion in 2022, and it's expected to expand at an annual average growth rate of 26% going through to 2030. So my agent persuaded me that we ought to participate in this growing market. And I I think that I I really had not personally listened to many audiobooks before, uh, but I can see now that they are a convenient way to consume literature while people are multitasking or engaging in other activities such as commuting, exercising, or doing household chores. That's neat. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. (laughs) And I've started doing it myself when I'm I'm driving. And of course, listeners can enjoy a book without having to set aside dedicated time for reading. And for individuals with visual impairments or reading difficulties, uh, which characterize a a large number of older people, I think, it's, it's possible to use audiobooks as an accessible alternative to printed or digital text, allowing a wider audience to enjoy literature. So uh, Sam talked to me about this uh, and persuaded me that we really ought to seriously consider doing an audiobook. Um, now my, my wife also played a role in this because she has listened to many audiobooks over the years and she persuaded me that I should give it a try. She told me that those books read by their authors seemed more authentic and believable, and I listened to several and I, and I enjoyed them. I used to host a radio program, and uh, my producer was a wonderful man who had reported from Europe for CBC Radio. Uh, Guy Vaughan had a deep, gravelly voice, perhaps made even deeper by cigarette smoking and whiskey drinking. Uh, he was a wonderful teacher. He would interrupt from the control booth. Timmy, boy, boy, Can you say that again? Remember, <laughs> breathe from your diaphragm. So, <laughs> so given this studio experience, the idea of reading my book did not seem that far-fetched. Uh, one day, my agent, Sam Hyatt, sent me a note reporting on a lunch he had in New York with an agent for Tantor Media. As their website says, founded in California in 2000, Tantor Audio has grown from a three-person operation into a leading independent audiobook publisher, producing more than 100 new titles every month. They were interested in licensing my book and producing it as an audiobook. Uh, Their website lists some 1,200 narrators, and I listened to several of them. Many of them were talented, but I couldn't find just the right voice for my book. Ultimately, I decided I would do the book myself. The license agreement paid in advance and gave me as the author the first option to narrate, uh, the terms of which were to be covered under a separate performer agreement. In any event, I retained the right to uh, to select the narrator, and I I picked myself. Uh, (laughs) Tantor wanted me to do the recording in an approved studio in the U.S., and I considered doing it in Seattle, which is a two-hour ferry ride away from my home. However, the more I thought about it, the less attractive it became. Uh, I'm not a professional voice actor, and I knew I would have trouble reading six or seven hours a day to justify studio space, and I didn't think it would make financial sense to spend several weeks in Seattle. I proposed recording the book in my own sound studio. There was a small problem. I didn't have a sound studio, so I decided to build one. Uh, Tantor sound engineers would have to decide if the recording quality met their standards. Now I found the Tantor folks were helpful but understandably concerned about maintaining quality. So I I watched a number of YouTube videos about voice recording and uh, very quickly decided that I did not want to do the job in a closet filled with pillows and duvets. Uh, Apparently some authors have done this, but it didn't appeal to me. Uh, Also, I'm a bit of a handyman and I like the idea of building my own studio. I talked to friends who are producers of musical recordings and watched more YouTube videos. So I I built a sound studio on one side of my attached double garage. It's a small room, uh, seven feet long by five feet wide, uh, sitting on rubber floor, floor tiles and isolated from the structure of the house so no sound can be transmitted through the floors or walls. And if you'd like a little technical description, I'm happy to give it. Uh, uh, the, the, studio, uh, well, the studio is constructed on a 2x4 frame. The walls and roof are made of 5-8 drywall, 3-quarter-inch sonopan, which is a sound-absorbing material that comes in 4x8 sheets, rock wall insulation between the studs, and another layer of sonopan and drywall on the interior. The walls and roof are about eight inches thick. The interior is covered with sound absorbing panels and baffles and there's a six-ply window and the door closes tightly. I built an, an air exchanger which circulates the air in the otherwise airtight room. The basic idea is to create a space free from outside noise and the sound absorbing panels on the inside soften the sound so it doesn't sound too harsh. So the studio is wired for internet and electricity and has a built-in desk. I did quite a bit of work researching sound equipment and I settled on uh, this configuration. Uh, I, I use a dynamic Shure SM7B microphone that feeds through a tube MP preamp to a Focusrite controller that converts the analog microphone signals to digital signals that are fed into an Apple Mac Mini, which operates Logitech sound software. The Logitech software is incredibly powerful and I have mastered only the basic functions. It's used by professional uh, music producers to mix multi-track sound recordings. After I finished the studio, I sent a sample digital file to the sound engineers at Tantor. They approved the studio, and that was a great relief, I can tell you, because it was a bit of a gamble. Now, the studio works well. Uh, It eliminates neighborhood sounds, aircraft noise, and the barking of our two Boston Terriers. I use it for Zoom calls, and it has been useful in my legal work when I have interviewed witnesses and conducted hearings over Zoom. I use the studio to teach a course at the 92nd Street Y, and other authors are now contacting me to learn about the process. So that's a that's really yeah. what I did.
0: Well, I, I think when I um, described this podcast, I'm going to call it a podcast and instruction manual.
1: <laughs> well, I'd be happy to, to share what I learned with others. Uh, and uh, if, if anyone is interested, I'd be quite happy to give them a hand.
0: So, how long did it take you to produce the book?
1: Well,. Um, at first, I was, I was tentative, and I practiced with the equipment and the text. Uh, Tantor sent a PDF of the text they wished me to use, uh, which was only slightly altered from the published manuscript. Um, so I, I sent recordings of practice sessions to friends uh, who produce vocal music, and, and their feedback was constructive and basically positive. So I began reading the book from the, begin- from the beginning. Um, I learned to correct errors as I went along, uh, rereading a sentence if I wasn't happy with it. I began to enjoy myself as I realized that I was essentially performing the book. Uh, when I was writing the book, I imagined how sentences would sound, and I often read them out loud to myself or read them out loud in my mind. And I think many writers do this. Uh, they structure sentences to be read a certain way, and when I came to r- read the book, I was able to put my intention into practice and and I enjoyed it, though it was tiring I, I found I could do one to three chapters a day, uh, but then I was really tired. My voice was tired and and i was uh, I was tired from concentrating. Uh, I found that I had to really try hard not to simply read it uh, as a dry document but to try to inject life in it. Uh, It took me about five weeks uh, working most days uh, to complete the project. i had spent hours and days editing the written material and I felt reasonably satisfied when I came to read it. Uh, After I was finished I uploaded the digital files to Tantor, and their sound engineers reviewed the book. They listened carefully and found a number of errors, or pickups, as they call it in the business, Uh, and Tantor sent a spreadsheet identifying the passages to be re-recorded, and I finished them in a couple of days. The engineers replaced the faulty passages and produced the finished recording. I I must say I was very impressed with the attention that uh, Tantor gave to the digital files. Uh, they caught things that I had missed uh, and uh, all of their catches were good ones and I think improved the the quality of the products. I, I was very impressed with their professionalism throughout uh, throughout the process.
0: It's kind of like doing retakes on a movie set.
1: Well, you would know about that. You're an actor.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, although I haven't, haven't done movies. But... Uh... Uh, certainly studying film uh, I'm aware of this need to re-record
1: Yeah what I found was that you know initially I would uh read and then I would go back and listen to a couple of paragraphs and if I found something I didn't like it was actually quite difficult to go back in and uh splice in a uh a change uh in exactly the right spot with the right uh Phrasing with the right spacing between uh, words and all that sort of thing. So I found it was much more efficient to simply go back to, if I didn't like a sentence. So I, I began listening more carefully as I was going along. And if I didn't like anything about a sentence, I would simply go in and re record okay. it. And that was actually uh, quite simple, although it was, you know, fairly laborious. But I felt that I was able to um, control the process better that way.
0: What did you do with Mary's
1: voice? Well, you know, I one of the things that I learned through the uh, the research I did before I got started uh, was that um, unless uh, the, the the professional actors say, unless uh, you are really good at uh, accents and so on, it's a mistake to try and do accents uh, or female voices, for example, because it it just won't sound good. It'll sound uh, bad, and instead uh, they suggest um, uh, changing the um, uh, the tone or the cadence, and and that's what I tried to do with Mar- Mary. I mean, I had a number of different voices in this: uh, Mary's voice, Ernest's voice, uh, Buck Lanham's voice, Carlos Baker's voice, quite a few voices, and I I just tried to. Change them somewhat in terms of uh cadence or tone uh and I didn't try anything overly dramatic um i and I'm you know I hope it works uh i, I just felt that to try and create a new voice for Mary was beyond my uh my theatrical skill set, <laughs> <laughs> and it would have sounded corny, I think yeah
0: I see that so in the end. Uh, did your book differ different to you after reading it
1: aloud? It it did in a way. I mean, what what I found about it as I as I got into it was that I found that the reading to be quite rewarding. I uh, I enjoyed doing it. I I enjoyed um, you know bringing what I meant to bring to those words uh, in reading it and. I found, I, I thought it was quite well done, frankly. <laughs> I mean, there were some things that I would have changed if I'd, if I'd thought that I was going to be uh, reading it. Uh, just as one, one little example, um, you know, when uh, when you read a book, uh, a manuscript, you see the quotation marks, and you can tell when something is quoted, and therefore you, you sort of pay different attention to it, you know. But uh it's harder to create that effect when reading it so that when I listen to the uh the work that I've recorded, um sometimes it's difficult to tell when something is a quotation and is not. Um, so that was a that was a, a difference, I think, that um that that I was surprised by
0: Yeah. Did you pause? Uh, to sort of indicate
1: the quotation well i i i did sort of pause but i i you know I'm not sure that it always worked uh and that was one of the things I noted in reviewing it
0: so are, are you now in business as an audiobook narrator
1: uh i wouldn't no i don't think so <laughs> uh uh the um but i have a, a number of people have been have contacted me and uh I am. I'm helping people to uh, to do their setup and encouraging them to do it. Really, I mean, I think, uh, I think everyone should do it. It's uh, it's really interesting to hear the author reading it. Uh, one of my friends joked with me. Uh, okay, your voice is all right, but why don't you get Tom Hanks to do it? <laughs> and I said, well, I'd be happy to do that, but I don't know him. Perhaps if you could send me his email, I can make a connection. So there are clearly actors who do a brilliant job, uh, sure. read, reading, these books. But I think that, uh, it's very interesting to hear the author do it. And I, I've now started listening for that. And, uh, so I would encourage people to give it a try. It's another, it's another uh, creative act, uh, in, um, in the project. And, uh, for example, I think you would be fantastic. I, uh, I, I think I told you once that uh, one of my wife's friends thinks you have a very sexy voice, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, could, uh, you could very uh, easily and profitably read some of your material. It would take you a long time because you have so much. Yeah, uh,
0: my problem is I'm not handy, so I can't build my own studio. And
1: I'm not close to the studio. Huh. So well,
0: I can't it's it's at least a couple hours
1: away. Yeah, that's that's hard. I actually one of the things I found that was uh good about having my own was that I could quit when I wanted. I didn't have a producer yes. who was uh, sort of hanging on my words or I, I didn't have to be considerate about anybody else. So I was just able to do it when I wanted and uh, and quit when I when I got tired. Uh and that is a, at least for you know an amateur like myself, uh, import an important consideration, uh, and also since it's right in my home, it wasn't a big problem to uh, to commute to it. So, yeah. Carl, maybe you'll just have to come here and stay in our guest suite and record a couple of things in the studio.
0: <laughs> yeah, Long, longer than you'd like. <laughs> well it's been a pleasure. Um, is there something else I should have asked you?
1: No, I think, uh, uh, those were good questions. I might just say that the nicest surprise about doing it, uh, was, uh, that, that my 44 year old son has been listening to it. And he told me that it made him feel like the little boy he was when I read to him every night. Uh-huh. Uh, and then over the holidays, he told me that he felt that he'd been in conversation with me. Um, you know, so the uh the recording makes the book a living legacy for those who who love you. And uh it's an it's it's an interesting I found it a very interesting adventure.
0: Yeah. Marvelous. Thanks, Tim.
1: Thank you, Carl. Really a pleasure to speak with you thanks for
0: Okay. Ta- I will post this and send you a link.
1: Thanks very much, Carl. You take care. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye bye.